St. Louis Board of Aldermen President Louis Reed is running for a fourth term in office, and the Democratic official has ambitious plans for another four years. Reed joins us on the latest edition of Politically Speaking, so let's hit the music. This is Politically Speaking, the longest-running episodic podcast about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... His colleague, Rachel Lipman. And joining us for the fourth time, you've joined the (laughs) four-timers Politically Speaking Club. We really do need, like, buttons or coins You get a jacket. Wait, I thought jackets were for the fifth. Well, I mean, it's it's a... lesser jacket than <laughs> people who've been it's on the vest. five times. Yeah. Uh, our guest I'll today, take the jacket. The guest, I'll take a jacket. By the way, our guest today is? Lewis Reed, president of the Board of Alderman City of St. Louis. Thank you very much for your time, sir. Um, why did you decide to run for a fourth term? I, I, that's going to be my first question to you. You know, um, I don't think it's any secret to anybody that there's still a lot that needs to be done in the city of St. Louis. Uh, I look around the city and I think about all of the people that have been impacted, uh, you know, due to violent crime in our city. Um, You know, the lack of jobs and opportunities for people, uh, particularly people of color. Uh, When you look uh, north of Del Mar, a lot of the young men are still struggling to uh, be part of the city, right? And they don't feel like they, they... uh, have a place in our city, um, you know, and as a as a father of four, uh, that bothers me. And you know, I've spent my time in public office uh, working to usher on some of those changes. I see now that we're right here on the threshold of making some major change happening happen. So. I'm looking forward to having an opportunity to begin that work. Uh, you know, uh, you've heard about uh, my program, you know, Operation Ceasefire and Operation Cure Violence. Those p- types of programs can go a long way in terms of changing the dynamics of our city. We look here at our city and, and metropolitan areas across the country have been able to drive their violent crime rate down by 40 and 50%. Can you imagine a St. Louis where we've driven our violent crime rate down and our murder rate down by 50 plus percent? And we're out of the top 10 for the first time, you know, in, in you know, decades. Decades. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Those things make a difference. Uh, you know, and the other big things that are coming up, we have this major redistricting coming up. Right. And it's going to take some strong and some uh, some measured leadership to get through that. And, and, and just to, to clarify for people, this is the, the planned redistricting, the required redistricting and reduction of the St. Louis Board of Aldermen wards, not the sort of broader major merger thing that yes. we're talking about here. Yes, yes. yes. And, you know, uh, you know, and Rachel, you were around at the last redistricting. It was this past one where I was the president of the Board of Aldermen. It was the first redistricting in the history of our city 
where we had not not 15 aldermen, but the entire board of aldermen all co-sponsored a map. We finished the map in record time. You didn't hear any a bunch of uh, fighting and things like that. Happen. Yeah, like, like in yeah. 2001, which yeah. were you were you were also there. <laughs> yeah, I was there. I was there, but I wasn't leading the board. Then. Oh just, no, you were just the alderman from the sixth ward. Yeah, but, but, just, but continue. <laughs> it just got started. So, uh, but you know, it's going to take uh, you know uh, again some strong measured leadership to get us through that, right? Uh, when you look at you know what happened around the Mike Brown shooting, and more more recently the this, this Stockley verdict, right? And both of those issues, when both of those came about at the Board of Aldermen, you didn't hear a lot of you know you know fallout and people you know dividing by race and stuff at the board because uh, I was working there, sure that everybody stayed together and worked worked, you know, for the betterment of our city. And we came out of those, both of those issues in a stronger, better position. You know, I helped lead the city through one of the worst, um, uh, you know, economic downturns in this nation. And we came out of it whole, right, with a balanced budget every time. Uh, to be fair, that is required by the charter. <laughs> well, well, it's, it's, it's required by the charter, but, but, but to deliver it where it works is a wholly different thing. So, so we were able to do that, right? We were able to do that. We came out, we came out strong, and now we're we're rebounding. We have a lot of major projects and things in the works that that will help to fuel some of the social uh, programs that we need around the city to make a difference. So, you know, I have a uh, you know an extensive past uh, in terms of my body of work. Uh, at the Board of Aldermen and on major issues to better our city. Uh, and we've laid the foundations for this next term to be able to see those things through to fruition. Is there a way where you look at the next four years and you say, I might use the powers that the Board of Aldermen president has a little bit differently in a fourth term? It's, it's sort of weirdly both not very powerful and that the charter just basically says you preside over the board of aldermen and you make the committee right. assignments but you are also a member of the board of estimate and apportionment which is sort of the budget overseer and we'll talk about this later but you do still have a position on the special administrative board for this uh, public schools oversights so is there a way that like you think you may use that differently in a fourth term than the previous 12 years yeah it's not a it's not a point of using it differently because i've we've leveraged every possible avenue or power of this office. This is why, you know, I worked with the school district to bring the school system back to full accreditation. You know, that was part of what I did with working with my appointee on the SAB board. Uh, major issues that, that moved through the board of ENA, uh, through the airport and East-West Gateway. I've been at the forefront of all of those, like the East-West Gateway, uh, one St. Louis plan. I helped to usher on that regional sustainability plan through my role at East-West Gateway. So we've leveraged, we leveraged the powers of that office, uh, at, of this office, to the nth degree. Now, um, now you know, you know, change in government and, and changing the direction of a system isn't as easy as just going in and changing it, right? It takes, it takes time and it takes, a, you, know, uh, you know, a lot of partnerships 
that you have to build with other offices within, not just within the Board of Aldermen, but outside of the Board of Aldermen to achieve those goals. It's akin to changing the direction of a of a you know of a battleship. You don't you just can't do a donut, right? <laughs> you just can't do a U-turn. <laughs> it would take a while. It would yeah. take a while. You can't do a U-turn. But 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 you but you have to you know uh, when you're at the table, you're just one voice, right? Uh, and you have to leverage that voice to as much as possible to move things, right? And this is one of the things that uh, the other couple of people that are running for this office, they have no idea. They, they, you know, they, they believe that you can cure cancer by being the president of the Board of Aldermen. Uh, they believe that, uh, you know, you have a magic wand and you can swing it and say, okay, now LL, all the LRA properties are now, you know, renovated, right? And it just doesn't work that way. Um, you know, there's a difference, there's still a difference in the executive branch of government and the legislative branch of government. And that was going to be my next question. I know that a priority of yours has been to reduce crime through those aforementioned programs. But we all know that because of local control, the police department is, is heavily controlled by the mayor, basically. Oh, absolutely. So the buck stops with her and her administration. And absolutely. I guess the Board of Aldermen can work around the peripherals. But my question for you is with that structure and with that limitation, how can you deal with crime? Because for especially for aldermen, they're the people that hear about it, but, they, but they're they're not really the you people that can like change the policy. That's the mayor. And, a- and I, I want you to kind of explain how you break through that that structural barrier. Yeah. And, and actually, that's that's a very good example. All right. So when you're looking at public safety, for 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 example, um, you know, that resides in the executive branch, wholly and completely. There isn't a dotted line reporting to any member of the Board of Aldermen myself. There's not a solid line. There's absolutely no reason that any member of public safety or the police department or public safety director have to listen to us at all, right? So that's why building those relationships and partnerships are just so key in terms of, in terms of advancing some of these things. Uh, so when people hear that I've been working on this issue of uh, Operation Ceasefire and Cure Violence for so many years, they say, well, what, why does it take so long? Because it takes that long to change a system. You just don't get it done. The, uh, but but at, you all remember when uh, the discussions of outsourcing and or selling the water department came yes. up, right? Yes, yes. And, uh, Rachel, I don't know if you remember, but going into the meeting, I was the only vote against it, right? But 200 people showed up that day, and it changed the vote. And that's why, at the end of all of it, uh, that deal fell through. And uh, you, so, so even though I was going into it as one vote, when the people showed up and let their voices be heard, it began to change the dynamics. So... So when I look at advancing the issues of public safety and seeing how we usher on a major public safety plan, if it's ceasefire or cure violence or whatever, uh, that's going to happen through the people engaging and demanding something different. Uh, that's why I've been visiting neighborhood organizations all across the city. They're now weighing in on it. Uh, Channel 5 uh, sent reporters down to New Orleans to see their program. They came back enthused and, and saying, hey, we need to get this done. So so it's taken root, right? And, and now that it's taken root, 
in this next term, I see us advancing that program. I see it coming into the city of St. Louis, and I see a city of St. Louis where we've driven our murder rate and our overall crime rate down 50-plus percent, and we're on our way to a, a new St. Louis. I, I talked to you beforehand. You haven't, like, ingested the whole 160 pages of the Better Together plan, so I'm not going to ask you for your opinion of that. And also, to be fair, the plan came out after the other two. We spoke right. to the other two. So, so I, I'm, I'm, we want to do that for fairness. But the, the, the idea of a city-county merger has been floated around for a long time. When you ran for mayor in 2017, I, I definitely asked you about oh, it. Yeah. And I think that one of the big sources of controversy, not only among the political community, but everyday people, is that this is going to be voted on statewide and not just in the city and the county. So I'd like to get your opinion on that because I think that there is certainly logical reasoning that the Better Together people are using to go statewide. They say it has to be done through a constitutional amendment. Therefore, it has to be done statewide. But for everyday people, there's kind of this visceral reaction that why is our governmental fate being decided by people that don't live here? So that's that's my oh, yeah. wind up. I'd like your opinion on that. Oh yeah, you know, and I completely agree. Can you imagine the situation where it fails in St. Louis City and St. Louis County, but passes out state? Oh, absolutely. And, and that can actually happen. And so, so people who have no vested interest in our community would be making our decision for us. I think that's a problem, right? Uh, but, you know, and Jason and, and Rachel, you probably have heard my position on this stuff in the past. Yes. That, that, you know, why do we have to wait for better together to do some of the things that, we'll, that we will gain through, uh, through better together? Some of the efficiencies. We can put cooperative agreements together today and join our forces with our police department, our uh, our uh, crime labs, our health department, you know, schools. We can begin to uh, do those things today and gain those efficiencies and savings, uh, you know, today, right? So I think that you know, we should have started that already, right? If I was sitting over in that executive branch and had the power to, to start that, that would have been one of the things we, I would have done. Uh, why is that important? That's important because you, show, you, you have an opportunity then to show the public, right, uh, that the world didn't end and that there were some benefits that were actually gained through the process. Uh, short of that, you still, you know, taking them into a dark room and telling them, just trust me and hold my hand. Yeah. And people are saying, well, wait a minute, what's in there? And, and, and you know, uh, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. Why should I go in there? You know, mm -hmm. so, so I think that that is a hard sell to people. And I, I have to ask this to you as an African-American elected official, because this is a huge source of discussion. I mean, under this plan, Basically, there's going to be one jurisdiction that reverts from the city, which I guess is a plurality, plur, plurality, plurality. African-American population, maybe yeah. a slightly white voting population. But clearly, African-American candidates can get elected citywide. There's only yes. two white citywide officials right now. Mm -hmm. And then it reverts to elected to citywide officials. Then it reverts to basically 60-ish, 40 white under this new jurisdiction for countywide offices. Um, I, we talked with the recorder of deeds, Michael Butler, and he said that the African-American community is going to be really upset to see a slew of citywide officials who are African-American suddenly become appointed positions or disappear under this. So I guess it's a two-part question. Does, is that a concern for you? And two, do you think it's 
setup is going to make it harder for candidates like you to win executive posts like mayor, or assessor, or, or prosecutor, in the or mega something. government. And, in the mega government. Yeah, I think that, you know, it, it's, it certainly isn't going to help African-American candidates to have to run, you know, you know, across the city and the county. Right. Uh, you know, but uh, the and, and on the other side, you have candidates like Charlie Dooley that has been that were able to, you know, transcend that. Right. Uh, transcend the, those natural barriers that, that divide us. Right. And was able to get elected. Right. Uh, but. Uh, uh, you know, and you know, but his his reelection campaign. Um, well, it collapsed once the labor unions abandoned him. Exactly, exactly, and 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 therein lies therein lies the problem. So so for for an African American candidate, there will be reservation, and that reservation is grounded in in uh, in years of history uh, of 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 unfair. Uh, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, assessment of exactly who and what they are as candidates. Uh, uh, so there, so I can see that there, there will be reservation, and, and quite frankly, there should be some reservation to that. I, but I, then you also see, yeah. you know, Wesley Bell, yeah. who's been able to to uh, transcend that. I want to ask though about like. What the best way, if you don't like the fact that it's a, a, a statewide vote, the options of combating it are not particularly great. There's this board of freeholders process. If you had been mayor, for example, you could have appointed the freeholders and had this exactly. local process. But, I mean, let's let's be really blunt here. I mean, Steve Stanger and Leiter Krusen are totally behind the Better Together plan. They are responsible for appointing most of the board of freeholders. They're going to appoint people most likely that are going to make sure there's no alternative plan, and Better Together's plan is probably going to be the only thing. Even and that's though, assuming the Board of Freeholders process even gets started. Which we don't know. Right. And then, Lots you know, of ifs in here. You know, it's possible, like, the legislature could put something on the ballot saying, like, it only goes into effect if the city and county vote for it. But I could see that running into a lot of opposition among people who are close to Rex Singfeld or people that like this idea. So. Again, that's a long observation rather than a question. But if, if my question for you is, if you don't like this approach, is there any way to combat it other than just organizing to try to vote it down? There, or to not get the signatures. I think you guys answered the question. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, you saw this me. This is what saw, we yeah, 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 yeah. We're, yeah, just re that, we're just reading your mind. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> what are the lottery numbers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so basically, maybe the way to combat it is an organized effort to not sign the petition that's, or something that's, like that. That's the, that's the only thing. That, what's, yeah, what's, the, what's the natural leadership for that then? I mean, we know who's sort of behind. We know who is behind the effort for the statewide vote, who's going to be gathering those signatures. Who leads any kind of opposition? Well, you need the the, the major groups that are that uh, who have their uh, uh, as part of their mission, you know, fairness and equity, equality, and all these things. So, you know, quite naturally, the NAACP, the city, county, and uh, state, right? I think that you have them engaged in it. I think you have, uh, you know, various different, uh, you know, social service organizations, nonprofits that that have the ability to engage in political ballot initiatives, uh, get involved. 
Um, and I think you have, uh, you know, uh, you know, I think the activist organizations can play a major role in raising awareness and educating people as to as to exactly what this is and uh, making them aware of what their options are. Uh, you know, I can see somebody like Kayla Reed playing a major role in in organizing people across the state uh, to uh, to bring some awareness and getting people mobilized. Right. I think that I think you have to leverage all of those things in between to, to be able to do it. And where does the money for it come from? I mean, we know That's that the, for Sinkfield, what he's going to have to spend on this signature campaign it, it is may a not just be, and this is, and I have to, <laughs> yeah. I have to point this out. I don't think Sinkfeld is going to be the only person bankrolling sure, this. But I think there are going to be some major businesses that are going to put gonna, money behind I mean, it. He's gonna, yes. Yeah. Like, where, where does the money come from? I, it's a rounding error for Sinkfield. It's a rounding error for some of these PACs to put what they would need for a signature campaign into the, the coffers of whatever group does this. Yeah, you know, um, I, the funding for funding for the uh, you know stopping the signatures and stuff that's going to be very tough. I think it's going to be tough to to be able to raise funds for this. This this has to be a grassroots groundswell movement. I mean, there's just no way around that being the, the way this has to uh, you know take root. It's not going to be. Uh, by just, you know, one major investor or two major investors and end up and saying, okay, I will help fund this mm-hmm. thing. I don't see that. Yeah, so I want to shift to something that you can control, which is this airport, quote-unquote, privatization situation. Yeah. I think that's the shorthand used. I don't think we're actually selling the airport oh, to no, a private no, 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 entity. No, no. We're basically We're basically exploring a private group running the airport, basically. Yeah, a lease agreement where there, it's a bit, uh, like right now, and the average person, including the people that are listening to this show uh, today, uh, could not tell you uh, how the airport is run, mm-hmm. or you know what involvement the city or or you know anyone has into it, the city, the county, or anybody has into it. Mm-hmm. So what we're talking about here, as you pointed out, is not the sale of the airport. So you know, for any of your listeners out there, anybody telling them that this is for the sale of the airport. They should uh, really look at that group or person very skeptically because, you know, that is not factual. Um, but what it does, it sets up a – and it, it, well, let me back up. I think it's important that people understand the backdrop, yeah. like why this is even possible. Sure. Uh, airport funds are restricted funds, right? Uh, and, you know, I can ask both of you, but I'm sure you know uh, how much we – we receive to our general fund on an annual basis from the airport. Like $7 million or something like that? That, that would be high. Five? Four million. Yeah, it's right. Six million. Oh. Right, right by five and six we million close. dollars. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are right there. Right there. So $6 million. And, and if we quadruple, let's say we, we increase the airport, uh, the revenue coming in the airport by a factor of 10, then how much will we receive to our general fund? $60 million. What do you think? Increase the revenue coming in by a factor of ten from privatization. Not from privatization. If you, it stays the same. I would have to think it stays the same at the six million because of the way the it's a restricted fund. It doesn't actually go into exactly right. And that and therein lies the problem. Airport funds are restricted funds. So if we 
if we do a fantastic job of expanding that airport or whatever, we would still get the $6 million a year. If we do a multiple of 100, we get $6 million a year. It doesn't matter, right? So, so Congress created this, 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 this process uh, to allow access to airport funds. But the problem, the, one of the bigger issues with it is they, they call it airport privatization. And, you know, you react and I, I react and I'm sure your listeners all react at the same when you hear this thing, airport privatization. I say, well, that's not something I could ever be for. Yeah. <laughs> Instantly just hearing the name, right? Uh, but when you understand that uh, airport privatization isn't the sale or, or divesting the airport and putting it in the hands of some private operator just to do it as will, that is not it. Um, so we know that there are restrictive funds. Now, any you guys know approximately how much debt we're carrying on the airport? A lot because we expanded the, the runway way yep. too much. Yep. Rachel, what are you doing? Uh, 35 million, somewhere in that range. Right, and just give me a number. Uh, 750 billion. Uh, 750 billion dollars. <laughs> One billion I dollars. Million, but I, I know it's a lot because that runway costs like a billion or two billion dollars, yeah, right? Yeah, we're, we're sitting here with uh, 600, over 600 million dollars in debt. Yeah. Right? So that airport is out there at 600 million dollars in debt and we're getting six million a year. It would take us 100 years using every penny that we have rolling back into it just to pay off the debt mm-hmm. in the airport. So, so we're carrying $600 million in debt. That's affecting every last one of, you, of us as we sit here, right, because that additional debt uh, that we're carrying as a city is going through. It, it's affecting everything within our city. Uh, so one means of addressing that issue of debt is this this agreement, this this uh, this uh, you know partnership agreement that you would have through the powers that Congress have placed in this bill uh, to unlock some of the revenue within the airport. So what does that mean on day one? Uh, uh, if if indeed this thing would go through and go full. Uh, full, you know, you know, all the way to an RFP and an actual outsourcing agreement. The city of St. Louis could get a check for somewhere in the neighborhood of two billion dollars. Not a project, but a actual check for somewhere in the neighborhood of two billion dollars. If you got a check for two billion dollars, the question would be, what would you do with it? You instantly, you can wipe out the debt that we have six hundred million dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Instantly, everybody in the city, every business, everybody in the city does better because, you know, uh, you know, because of the pressure from the six hundred million dollars and the cost that we have to pay for money. Right. So we end up the city is in in a healthier, better place just paying off the six hundred million. And then you would have somewhere in the neighborhood of one point four billion dollars left. What would you do then? You can take out, you know, we're getting the six million dollars a year. Right. You can take the six million dollars a year through the length of the contract and off of the top of the one point four and plug it right back into the deal. So what would happen? (laughs) What would happen from there is that we would have you know we would you know you know into the future you know the uh, you know people who would come after us would still get that six million dollars a year that we're that we're getting through the you know in perpetuity and we'd have somewhere in there, let's throw it out somewhere in the neighborhood of about a billion dollars left mm-hmm. to begin the work to transform things across our city and that's why it's important that we at least 
take a look at it. Regardless of what the deal looks like, and we'll get to what you think it should look like in a second, should the public vote on whatever deal, if there is a deal, comes out of this? Should it go to a public vote? Here, I think, I think that um, I support a public vote. And the reason I support a public vote is because any deal that would come uh, before the board or the board of ENA, I think it would, ha- it would be so good in terms of anything that I would support. I think that the public would automatically be in favor of it also. So, so I don't see any downside to that. You know, I think that um, uh, the, you know, the, po- the public properly informed will make, the correct de- will make a good decision. And when you say public vote, it means the citywide voters would have to approve this before it goes into effect, right? Uh, there, there's, there's various different iterations of that, right? Um, you so know, how are you defining public vote then? I'm, I'm defining public vote uh, as, as what Jason said, right? And that isn't how everybody's viewing a quote-unquote public vote, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're viewing a public vote. Some people are viewing a public vote as a public vote even before you look at it, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them would like to see it stopped in its tracks and us not even take a look at it. And, uh, you know, for people that are sitting in, in, in that group, look, uh, I understand the hesitation because, of, uh, uh, because it's a huge unknown, right? Mm-hmm. But I also think that it would be, uh, you know, uh, malpractice not to look at, not to even look at an opportunity that could truly transform our city. What would have to be in the deal for you as a member both of ENA and as an alderman to vote to put it to the people? It would have to be something that would truly transform our city. I mean, it has to be transformative. It cannot be just about a better airport or the airport, right? If that's what we're looking at, let's just leave. I would just leave it as is. I wouldn't, uh, you know, I would not. Uh, even, you know, venture to say we even need to be looking at it if we're just looking at, you know, how do we get a better airport out of this mm-hmm. thing. Uh, but if we, uh, if we can transform our city, if we, can, if we can see families not being traumatized the way we see them today because we have the resources to transform these neighborhoods and to correct some of the historic inequities that have uh, found their way in neighborhoods across the city, I think that that is important. And I think we should uh, uh, look at it. So it has to be something that gives us an opportunity to do that, right? Uh, you know, you know the, the things when we look across our city, just like urban areas across this country, uh, the things that, that you see playing out in front of you are, are that's not those things aren't by mistake, right? Those things are by those things. A lot of times are are by design because of the way the business community operates, the banking systems operate, and uh, and you know you know ultimately uh, you know you see it playing out within our community. Because there have been a lot of white aldermen who have said under no uncertain terms will they support a a quote-unquote privatization deal, it basically puts the Black Caucus in the prime position of leverage to get what they want out of this. They could basically say, if you don't direct all this money to the north side to rebuild streets, tear down vacant buildings, you know, 
build houses that are made of diamonds or something. I'm being facetious, know, obviously. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Then they could just say, well, well, we're not voting for it, and it dies. So is that kind of what I, – I haven't talked to a lot of aldermen about this issue, but is that kind of the dynamic that's going on right now that may kind of push against any sort of citywide vote? Yeah, that, you know, that absolutely is playing a role, and I think you, you're – correct in your assessment that that is playing a role. Uh, but uh, the way I see it is, um, you know, a lot of aldermen are, are not going to come out and say that they support anything dealing with the airport because it's been so poorly covered, right? Uh, so in the media, nobody's really explained exactly what it is. So it is a risky proposition to even get close to it. So, you know, it's a safe political position just to say, well, guess what? I would never support it. You know, if, if I'm elected, it's guaranteed that I'd kill it, right? And anybody that truly understands exactly what it is, right, and that has attended the number of funerals that somebody like myself have, that have had to comfort grieving parents uh, and all of these things that come out of the crime and stuff in our city and uh, that truly care about addressing the issues of homelessness and stuff like that, where we have absolutely no money to do so, right? Uh, and anybody that supports any of those issues should also have a major problem with, with any candidate that says, under no certain terms, I will work to kill an airport uh, privatization deal because that's where we would get the revenue mm -hmm. to be able to address the issues of unemployment and mass unemployment. This city, of, the city of St. Louis, I've, I haven't looked at the unemployment numbers lately, but it has to be somewhere around 5% unemployment, right? But young, amongst young African-American males in the city of St. Louis, we're looking at a 20 plus percent unemployment rate in some areas, right? So when you look at that, and it, it, because a lot of these kids fall not just unemployment, but, but they are in a world where they're not even, you know, looking at any opportunities for, for future employment or even within that world. And that was gonna be my next question. We're gonna shift to education now. I understand that the Board of Aldermen and even the mayor doesn't have direct control over SLPS. But as Board of Aldermen president, you do appoint somebody to the I Special Administrative do. Board. Yeah. You have been involved in the past, um, I guess, with campaigns to raise the property taxes for SLPS along mm -hmm. with a lot of people. So I want to get your sense, because we've asked all the other two candidates this too. What do you want to do to continue the trajectory of SLPS the way it's going? Because Everyone is super happy that it's accredited now. That's a monumental accomplishment. But I still think there are parents who are look like me, who are white, middle or upper middle class, that don't want to send their kids to SLPS for various reasons. Maybe it's a fear factor, or maybe they just aren't comfortable that the school is at a level where they could send their kids there. What are you going to do as Board of Aldermen president to help kind of reverse some of that apprehension? Because I'm sure you well, encounter uh, it every day, basically. Yeah, yeah, the things that I've already done, right? You know, I'm the only candidate in this race that has have that has worked firsthand 
to get the school system reaccredited. I mean, so uh, Anne has worked diligently to do that. So I'm very proud of the fact that we all achieved that. You know, myself, uh, other members of uh, you know the you know the executive branch and the gov- you know the governors uh, that the governors people who were involved, uh, the superintendent, the SAB board, right, and the teachers, and also the students, right, and the administration. Everybody played a role in turning that system around, uh, and I, I've, I've, I'm happy about the role that I played in bringing the school system back to full accreditation. Now, the next piece uh, that we have to work on is is just making that better, right? We have to just continuously improve. Uh, but now we have a good foundation to build on. Uh, the school system now is uh, you know, sounder, uh, you know, financial footing than they've been in decades, right? So we have a good foundation to build on. It is a it is a continuous work to to get us there. But part of what we have to uh, understand also is what's happening within the neighborhoods that the schools sit in and the environments that the kids are, are, are having to be exposed to because lack of investment and stuff in, in the areas in which they live is playing a major role too. So if you support, if you support a stronger, better school system, if you support safe and secure kids, you also would have to be open to looking at something like an airport privatization. You have to be open to looking at uh, something like a soccer stadium because you cannot get there with an empty bucket of money. It takes it takes resources to address these issues, and that's why you know. And looking at uh, you know a soccer stadium deal, it's about the kids, and it's about better, safer communities, and it's about investing within our city. And getting the economy started is the first part we need to do. I pose this question to the other two candidates, and with the full disclosure, usual the usual disclosure that my son uses special school district services. Do you think it would be a good idea for city voters to be able to decide whether the special school district, which serves children with developmental and physical disabilities, should be brought into SLPS? Uh, you know, um, I think that, uh, you know, the, the St. Louis public school system does a, a good job of, 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 of providing those services within, you know, schools all across the system. You look at in St. Louis County, uh, those services are essentially separate. So when you look in and when you look at like our testing scores and all that stuff in the city of St. Louis, uh, people need to understand that those testing scores and stuff also includes that district. Right. Yeah. So, so um, you know, uh, it, you know, I think that the, I think that uh, uh, it's important to assure that there is a a a you know a a system where all of those kids are in together and i think that helps uh the kids that are not that do not need those special services and i think it also helps the kids that need those special services to be exposed to each other and to be part of one school system so um, you're kind of leery of that idea is that fair to say yeah i'm kind of leery of that idea i'd have to see 
you know, exactly, you know, what are the things that they're hoping to achieve through that. I have not heard that or seen it. Mm -hmm. But off the top of my head, when I look at it, uh, you know, and having dealt firsthand with the school mm -hmm. system and the special school, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the special, you know. Uh, special education special infrastructure, infrastructure at SLPS. Infrastructure at SLPS. Um, I think that um, they do a good job. This is a really interesting contest because you have three candidates with varying strengths as far as the map goes. And it's, it's kind of unpredictable. You beat an incumbent in 2007, and then your last two races for this post, have they both been against Jimmy Matthews? I think no, so. No, there have been uh, various other candidates that have run. Essentially uncontested. They, they have not been as competitive as this one. Mm -hmm. um, so what is the, uh, without giving away your strategy, because I know that you're not going to, delve on We've that tried. show. We've, We've tried, tried every time to get this in it. I think that kind of <laughs> yeah. your your natural you have it you're a very interesting political figure in that you live in basically near South St. Louis in the sixth ward. Yes. But you have kind of a history of doing very well in North St. Louis, which is predominantly African American. And there's this added factor that there really is no clear favorite in the the largely white Southwest side. And my understanding is you may get a lot of institutional support. The other two does have the final. Yeah, so I want I want you I want you to explain like kind of what what the what the path to victory is first before I ask any follow ups. Well, first thing is um, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you guys ever have ever followed me around town, but my messaging is the same no matter where I'm at in the city. I, I'm just you know straightforward, factual, and honest to people about what I think we need to do to move forward. My body of work eclipses any of the other candidates. So, you know, in terms of being able to stand on your record and what you've delivered, right, the things that I've already delivered are things that they would hope to be able to deliver through the course of, of, of their political career. Uh, the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, I was one of the nine people that, that created that fund, right? That now has, uh, you know, uh, had over $41 million uh, go to, you know, very important housing needs and, and uh, rental assistance needs all across the city. 1.5 million uh, bid nights for the homeless and so on and so forth, right? And that's a big issue for a lot of people, a lot of uh, my opponents, right? Well, I've already done that. If they want to talk about the school system, you know, I was one of the people that took, took a direct hands-on role in taking the system from being an unaccredited system uh, with, uh, you know, a, a marginal financial footing and bringing the system back to a, you know, a solvent system, right, and full accreditation. Right. If they want to talk about the issues of, uh, of environmental stuff, right, I led the one St. Louis regional sustainability plan. And now the whole region, not just the city, city and county are under one regional sustainability plan now. Uh, I'm the one that introduced the, uh, you know, ready for 100 to take the city back to full, you know, to take the city to being, you know, fully 100 percent renewable. Right. And so on and so forth. So and then if you want to look at other things, if pets are, are your thing. Right. I'm the guy that brought the concept and introduced the bill to allow for dog parks in our city. I mean. 
you know, I'm the guy that created Bike St. Louis, you know. Uh, I mean, I'm the guy that created the, uh, you know, the Prop S Fund, the Youth Crime Prevention Fund. Now that, you know, we've helped over 20,000 people, uh, uh, kids across our city, uh, you know, go on to do better things, right? And the list goes on and on and on. There isn't one sector of if you're looking at it, you know, from uh, social service issues, if you're looking at education issues, you're looking at business development. As the alderman of Sixth Ward, I crossed my time at the alderman of Sixth Ward, I did over $1.6 billion of new development in that ward alone, right? I, I think the board of aldermen is more unified and working together than it ever has been before. You do not, you do not see the division at the board of aldermen that you used to see in the past. Uh, I was able to get the board to all work together for drawing of the map, which mm-hmm. is uh, which is one of the most you know uh, divisive things that ever becomes that ever comes before uh, any elected board. And we were able to do that and have all the members, uh, you know, sign on to be co-sponsors and all work together to do that. That is absolutely unprecedented, right? Um, So if you look at any sector, anything, any of those things, right, the things that my opponents would hope to do one day are the things that I've already done. So we're on to the next chapter to say, okay, what what next? What are some of the urgent, critical things that we can do to tie the fabric of all these things together. I know it, I understand it, and I'm ready to deliver it. But it doesn't change the fact that the map is very different now. You're outlining a lot of what you've done, but that it not necessarily is what may appeal to um, voters who, with other different constituencies. Again, without giving away the political strategy, what does it look like when you have a candidate who has run successfully in basically half of the city has the name recognition, et cetera. Does it change or how does it change um, how you approach it? I mean, also, too, Jamil Nasheed has beaten some pretty formidable candidates in the past, and Megan Green has her own constituency, too. So yeah. that, that, that's, yeah, I'd like you to respond yeah, to that. Yeah, Jam- Jamil Nasheed has never been in a race like this, ever in her life. Mm-hmm. She's never been in a race like this. And uh, she has never had to run against anyone with, with the record that, that, you know, I do, right? And, and someone that has uh, the broad appeal in and in across the city, in every sector of the city, whether you're north, south, or central, we have a solid constituency. And that constituency is built on uh, years of working within those communities and delivering on the things that, that are important to the people within our community. People in the city of St. Louis, they know me. Uh, they know my record. My record is, is like I said, uh, you know, the other candidates in this race, they, they can't even begin to get their, get, you know, a complete understanding of it, the depth and the breadth of, of uh, you know, the volume of work that, that myself and my team have been involved in and in delivering for the city. Um, you know, so, so uh, you know, to your to answer your question, Rachel, uh, our, our, you know, the biggest thing that we have to do within this race is just to remind people of exactly how some of these things exist that they enjoy today and, uh, and you know, our record, right? And also the record of, our, of my opponents. I think that that is fair, and I think that is something that, should, that people should look at. If I was sitting in front of you right now, 
in a job interview. One of the first questions you, the, anybody, any interviewer asks an interviewee is, tell me a little bit about yourself. What have you done in the past, right? And it's that question that ends up being the, the thing that, that just is the biggest liability for both of my opponents. They do not have that record. Uh, you know, Megan Green in her own ward uh, it has not has not made the progress that other aldermen across the city have made. Uh, the fact that you know nearly none of her colleagues support her should tell you something uh, about the way her ability to work with others, which is very important. Uh, you know, our system of government across this country is built on being able to work together, being able to respect the opinions of others, and work toward a, a you know, some common solution, uh, a blended solution that, that, that takes into account uh, uh, the ideas of others. And I've been able to do that very successfully, which is why overwhelmingly the members of the Board of Aldermen are supporting me, uh, state reps, state senators are supporting me. Uh, and uh, business community, residents, nonprofits all support me across the city. Thank you so much for coming in today. And we will be having the other candidates that we recorded on in the following weeks. This is a very important race, as I said on the outset. So we appreciate your time and the time of other candidates. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter, Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Rachel on Twitter at? At R. Lipman, two Ps, two Ns. Is it Prez Reed? Prez Reed. And how, is there also Just, a website too and uh, other Lewis stuff? LewisReed.com. All right. Thank you very much. Until next time, so long.